Hi everyone, welcome to this M2D2 talk. Um, today we have uh, Ziyu with, with us. Uh, she will be presenting her work on um, Bayesian optimization to improve protein model for peptide and protein design. Ziyu is a fourth year PhD student um, in Professor Andrew White groups at the University of Rochester. She has been, uh, she has various background in science and engineering, and her research focuses on applying deep learning model and optimization techniques on biomolecules. Thank you so much to you for accepting our invitation and uh, looking forward to this talk. For everyone in the audience, uh, if you have any questions during the talk, please raise your hand, um, and the speaker will, will uh, gladly allow you to ask your question uh, when she she wants. And if you have any discussion, long discussion question, please wait till the, the question um, period at the end of the talk. Thank you so much. Z, you can start now. Thank you. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by today. And thanks for uh, Prudencio for um, inviting me to share my recent work with all of you. Um, as he just introduced, I'm a fourth year PhD student from University of Rochester and Professor Andrew Weiss group. And in this work, uh, now was sequence pre-trained ensembles for uh, Bayesian optimization of protein sequences. We proposed a machine learning workflow that can navigate the sequence design, which only requires a reduced amount of experiment data. So the primary setting of this work is we only have very few data points, which is an extremely hard task for doing machine learning. So we decide to use pre-trained models with Bayesian optimization to overcome this challenge. Um, I will explain later in this talk, what is pre-trained models and what is Bayesian optimization and why we choose to use them. Okay. Um, so first is a, a little bit background. We start from what is a sequence in chemistry field. So uh, most commonly, a protein can be written in a sequence of amino acids. Um, so uh, there are also several molecular string representations that can encode a molecule into a sequence of tokens. The most popular one is the small strings. And the example shown here is a, a molecule that is re represented in a sequence of selfie tokens. Uh, moreover, a reaction can also be written in a sequence of tokens using reaction smiles. But today we will only be looking at amino acid sequences. Okay, so as my, I mentioned, we use pre-trained models in this work. Um, so in general, pre-trained models are um, neural networks where the weights are previously trained on a large data set. It could be either used at a, as a starting place for training on a smaller and similar data set, or it could learn an embedding for itself. So it has shown its success in um, natural language processing and computer visions. For example, the GPT-3 and the BERT models those are transformer-based pre-trained language models and have been very successful on multiple tasks related tasks. 
um, pre-trained models has also shown its success in protein sequences as well. And we all know that in chemistry, low data is always a problem because um, labeled in examples are limited and the labels are expensive to obtain. And even for the existing data set, they are often imbalanced. So in this case, pre-trained models could be a potential solution to all those problems. Okay, um, so even though we employ pre-trained representations to get more intrinsic information from amino acid sequence in order to survive this low data challenge, but when we build machine learning models with inadequate data points, there are a few questions where all the machine learning scientists will think about. So how much can we trust the model? And how can we utilize all the data we have? Also, can we dynamically update the model when there is a new data coming in? So here, I need to mention the Bayesian approach. The corresponding concept is the uh, frequentist approach. Bayesian approach is a systematic way of assigning probabilities to certain values of parameters and updating these probabilities based on the observed data. Um, however, sometimes we are only interested in the most probable value of parameters that give rise to the data that we are observing. So this can be achieved using the frequentist approach, which is on the left side. Uh, it treats the parameter of interest as a fixed quantity, and that can be estimated using the maximum likelihood estimation. And uh, this approach is more often adopted in the machine learning community that places a strong focus on optimizing a certain objective function to locate the optimal set of parameters. Um, so on the contrast, Bayesian approach works differently. It treats our parameter of interest which is stated here as a random variable by employing a probability distribution that it get refreshed as more data is collected. Um, so this idea is very important in low data regimes since we always want our model parameters up to date to all the possible data points we have. Um, okay, so in order to find the best sequence, we use Bayesian optimization here. So in general, Bayesian optimization is based on the Bayes theorem. So first, a model is built based on the observed data. And after that, we make informed decisions by both exploring and exploiting the model. And then we in return update the model based on the new data we observe using the Bayes theorem. Um, uh, here, trying to give a more mathematical explanation. So X is the sequence we're trying to find, and F of X is the underlying black box function that is expensive and unknown. It could be a real experiment, it could be a reaction, or it could be a computer simulation. And Y is the label that comes from the experiment. Um, so it is the property we're trying to optimize. Um, and we build a surrogate model P of F of X equals Y to estimate the underlying black box function. And in the Bayesian optimization, we are trying to find the X that can maximize F of X. So this needs the model F of X to have uncertainty. 
And uh, in most cases, we often assume X comes from a pool, which is a set, set of existing data. Okay, so in this work, we combine Bayesian optimization and pre-trained models. Um, okay, so here, there are several challenges for uh, using a pre-trained model with Bayesian optimization. So first, we um, want to be able to propose any possible sequence Oh, yes. The yeah. you, you said in the on the previous slide that you assume that uh, the axes are come from are coming from um, a predefined set of, um, of options. What does that mean here for for proteins? Uh, okay, repeat your question. So you said here that uh, the AGMAS is choosing S from a predefined set of, uh, of uh, inputs. Oh, and yeah. I'm, 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 I'm wondering uh, what does that mean here for, for proteins? Oh, okay. So you say this, right? Often assume X from pool. Yes. Okay. So, um, so typically when we do a Bayesian optimization, we use a GPR, Gaussian process regression, right? And the way we use that is we know a set of uh, sequences with its labels. So like uh, the different thing we're trying to do here is we don't have that set of existing sequence with labels. We don't, we only, yeah, we don't have any candidate sequence for now. We're trying to find the sequence from um, like, um, whatever overall sequence days. Okay, so okay, so basically the pool we are talking about here is just the training set. It's not an assumption about the search phase, right? Uh, sorry, can you repeat your question? So, so the pool we are talking about here is the training set, not um. We are not making any yeah. assumption about the search phase. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so here, um, to continue, we have several challenges for using a, uh, using a pre-trained model with the Bayesian optimization. So first, we want to be able to propose any possible sequence. Uh, it is like what Prudencio just asked. We want to propose any possible sequence because one working in real settings, we cannot have a a pool which is an existing data set with sequences and labels because we are working on a new task. And next is the pre-trained models doesn't come with uncertainty, but we need uncertainty to do Bayesian optimization, especially we want it to be calibrated at low data. And a standard way to do design with an infinite pool or overall sequence states is using NVAE or an encoder-decoder model to do optimization over the latent space. Okay, so the purple arrow indicates the procedure of trying to train an encoder and match the labels, which is the properties here. And the arrow, the red arrow indicates the process of we optimize the property over latent space and pass through a decoder to generate new sequences. And in our work, we found that uh, work directly with latent space doesn't work well 
because maybe for our um, pre-train pre model, uh, we are in a small region of latent space. So the orange line on the right um, shows the curve of optimizing properties in the latent space, where the green line shows the result of corresponding sequence after go through the decoder. It is obviously not very good. So like, we decided to do end-to-end -end optimization where we work directly in the encoder space. Like work in the, working in encoder space guarantees all the sequence we generate are valid and they maps directly with its property, like the property we optimize. And here we use, we use the Gumbel softmax trick by using the categorical relaxation to do optimization with discrete values by, uh, yes. Uh, in the last slide, you mentioned the Nazi space. Could you uh, uh, explain more about this concept? I, uh, can you repeat your question? Sorry, I didn't. Um, you, in the, you, you mentioned some result in the latent space and in the larger space, but uh, you haven't given a definition about the larger space. Oh, the latent space? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. You mentioned the, previously you showed us a picture. Yes, uh, yes, this one. One is latent space, another is hey, this, 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 this patch, another is larger space but you do not uh, explain this larger space to us. Okay, so, um, so the latent space is, um, um, yeah, I'm not sure how to explain that, but it's like when you do an encoder, encoder and decoder model, um, there's uh, like a space that you think those uh, space contains the most information and it is the least dimension that it has, contains all the uh, important information of okay, I, see, I, see. I, I, I understand the latent space and uh, just uh, do not understand the, the larger space here what uh, how do you optimize the larger space the the word space oh no jit l-o-g-i-t uh and uh, in this picture in this slide uh, there are two spans. The first uh, you mentioned is not. I think he means the green one. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, thanks. Um, so uh, that one is like uh, we optimize in latent space, and now we want to like uh, find the corresponding sequence, right? So in the latent space, we're trying to optimize the property, but uh, in in real, I mean, in real task, we want to find the sequence that corresponding to this best uh, property. So we go to we go through a decoder, um, and the green line shows that. Uh, so the orange line is like we optimize in the latent space and try to minimizing the loss, right? And after we find the the opti optimized property, we try to go through a decoder, and the green line is the corresponding sequence that is with its real label. Uh, like after we go through the decoder, so it means even though the properties in the latent space are optimized, but when it passed the decoder, it is not like, uh, uh, yeah, it is not very good. I don't know whether that's explaining your question, mm -hmm. but I think what I'm just trying to say here is that, so the latent space is, uh, ooh, here is a really large dimension, dimensional space. So even though you find some place that is really 
uh, can maximize your property, it doesn't necessarily corresponding to a real sequence in the sequence space. So it's not a bijective mapping between the sequence and the latent space. Okay. Um, so there is one question by uh, Lance in the chat. Why there are many green curves and only one oh. uh, orange curve? Okay, good question. So uh, these green curves are around like uh, 50 of them, 50 of them, and I get the average. The solid line is the average of all the runs because I don't want it to be uh, extreme case or only one run that can represent all the circumstances. Um, just to, to also uh, speak on, on this figure, I think the, and you can come if I'm wrapping, the green line is also the, the cosine, represent the, the cosine similarity when you find the, the point in the Latin space, you decode and then you encode again, right? So is all the cosine similarity are actually in the Latin space, but with the green line is actually the optimal in the last space. Sorry, the orange is the optimal in the last space before decoding, and the green line is after decoding and reopening again. Uh, right. yes, yes. Okay, perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. And Amina is asking, what does the y-axis represent? What is the y-axis? Yeah, represent. Also. Okay, so it's one minus cosine similarity. So uh, it's the a lower is better, means the cosine similarity is high, then one, one minus it is small. So if it is close to zero means the cosine, so cosine similarity is one, that means that is exactly the same. Um, oh yeah, I was talking about the Gumbo Substance trick. Um, and yeah, here is the, here is the in-depth illustration about how we use Gumbo Substance trick uh, in our work. So we start from a numerically continuous space. I don't know whether you all can see my curse. Um, so this space is we, where we start. And this is the space we're trying to optimize. And then we apply a layer normalization where the parameters of the layer normalization is also trainable. So here is the gamma and the beta. Um, and so the point of the layer norm is to make the sampling result easier to swap where we use a categorical sampling strategy to sample the sequence. So from this space, we're going to sample uh, from this space and get the discrete sequence, like the real sequence, which is the one hot encodings. And after we get the sequence, we can input the sequence into a differentiable function that can give us a score or a loss of the given sequence. And after that, when we're trying to update the initial, uh, the initial space based on the score or the loss, we compute the gradient with respect to the initial space. Uh, so it requires us to make the whole process differentiable and pass the gradient back to here. 
Um, and here we use the straight through approximation to get the gradient of the discrete values, which is here. So as we can see for the forward sampling pro uh, process, it is uh, like discrete. And I mean, theoretically, this is, this is not differentiable. We, not, we cannot compute the gradient with these kind of values. But here we use the uh, straight, straight through approximation where um, we use the gradient of the softmax function. So since the forward sampling fo follows a categorical distribution, so the mathematical explanation is here. So this is how it, uh, we turn the discrete values into continuous values. Okay, so this is how we are able to get an infinite pool of data by using this end-to-end -end optimization. And next, we need to have uh, uncertainty. So the standard method to um, get uncertainty for deep learning is to use a Bayesian neural network, which we compute the posterior. But these things are incredibly expensive. Um, so there is a paper came out in 2021, and I won't draw your attention to the, uh, the Bayesian neural network, the Hamiltonian Monte Carlo, which is marked by the, the orange star and the deep ensembles, which is marked by the yellow triangles. And you can see across different measures that deep ensembles is competitive with Bayesian neural networks posterior, but it is much more efficient method because we don't need to sample from the posterior. We just directly compute the uncertainty. And this paper also shows that the deep ensemble is more robust at low data counts than Bayesian neural network. They are calibrated with noise and so that we can hypothesis that it performs well at low data counts since large noise is mathematically equivalent with low data. Um, so deep ensembles basically is an ensemble of neural networks where each network also predicts a standard deviation and the mean. And if we combine all the standard deviation predicted by the network, that is the aleatoric uncertainty, which estimate the noise of the labels. And if we look at the disagreement of the means of the model, uh, we can consider it as the epistemic uncertainty, which is also the model uncertainty. Okay, so if we put all these together, we basically have a iterative loop where we propose a sequence to try and here, and we label it um, by running whatever experiment. And then we convert it uh, into pre-trained uh, the latent space, which is the here, a 1900 uh, dimensional neural vector. Um, and after that, we retrain the model uh, with this new data point. And the retrain model is uh, the deep ensembles model. So it gives us the prediction as well as the uncertainty. And after that, we can do our end-to-end Bayesian optimization by uh, maximize our acquisition function. Then this is our new proposed sequence and we test this one again. I mean, by doing this, we just repeat the process until we get the sequence that meet our requirement. So we use this approach, um, we can 
um, so we get the uncertainty. And now we want to see whether the model is calibrated and loaded up. So to test this model, we use three different tasks. So one of the difficulties is that we cannot use the past experimental data. Um, the reason for that is that this method doesn't have faults. So they cannot propose sequence that are already in the experimental data set. So we use these three tasks, which are challenging, but for which we can test any sample sequence from the model we propose. So the first one is uh, guessing the sequence, which like, is like a peptide wordle. Um, every time it only tells you how agreeing the sequence you guess with the target sequence by giving back a scalar score. And the second task, we use a previously trained neural network from a separate project and pretend that is the experiment. So we basically replace the black box experiment to the black box neural network. Um, and the last task, we use AlphaFold, which has been shown to work well with predicting binding between um, the proteins and peptides. And we use the AlphaFold calculation to serve as our experiment. Okay, so the first thing is to check and see how calibrated our models are at a loaded amount. So we show this parity plot as we increase the number of training data, how good the agreement is. Um, as we can see here, the, the correlation is not very high um, because we are working in a very high dimensional space. Um, so it is reasonable not getting very high accuracy at low data points. Also, what we want to pay attention to is when we do Bayesian optimization, the most important thing is not how accurate the model is, but how calibrated the model is. So we look, look at this um, log likelihood. Um, we can also look like this, look into this miscalibration area which see how often things fall inside and outside the confidence interval, and if that agree with what it should be like. And the plot on the bottom row shows that we do pretty good and we have calibrated uncertainties. So we can put all these together and now we can use a Bayesian optimization. The first thing, so first thing we try, first task we try is to find the hidden sequence um, by getting feedbacks only on the overall agreement. The x-axis is um, how many peptides we have and the y-axis is uh, how close we are to the target sequence. The higher score means closer. And we have few, a few competitive models and our model is in green and the one in purple is like we don't have the pre-trained models, but we use um, one hot encoding instead. And the one in all ranges, we use the pre-trained models, but we don't do basic optimization, we do gradient ascent. And the pink one is just, uh, we choose uh, randomly. And our model was well at the low data region, but it doesn't have significant advantage over, um, um, over the model that without basic optimization. Also, like as we can see, as the data points, as the iterations goes to up to 100, and the one hot models comes up. Uh, the reason is why this, I think it is an extreme case, 
So this task has no noise because um, yeah, when we get the labels, it is exactly correct, then there's no noise. And also the task is trying to find the specific sequence, which uh, has the positional information where the one hot encoding just exactly is the, has the linear relationship with the, the, the label we're trying to predict. So it is very easy, easy to learn for one hot encoding. So pre-trained representations here doesn't have any advantage. Um, okay, so next task. Okay, so this is the bar plot um, and the black bar here shows the, also shows the uncertainty at each steps. Okay, so next task is we're trying to predicting the uh, hemolytic activity of a peptide. We're trying to find the most aliased peptide possible. And so we use this engine that is developed by um, my advisor and, and two Dr. White and my lab mate Murat. So here, whatever you enter a peptide sequence, for example, you can enter a, a Okay. Yes, and it gives uh, gives you back a hemolytic prediction. Is the a prob probability like how hemolytic it is? As we can see, it's different for different length. Okay, that's we. Yeah, so we use this engine as a black box neural network. Um, okay, so here are some results. Um, so when we uh, look at uh, how many we test versus the score is, it is the classification task. So we look into the probability of the hemolysis. The horizontal line is the most hemolytic peptide we can find in the training data set. And we can see after 20 examples, we already find something that is quite hemolytic. And as we go further, we improve that curve. Um, also in this task, we enable the changing of the sequence length. So as we can see, uh, as the iterations goes up, the sequence length tends to accumulate around 13 and 20, maybe this 27. And this is this match with um, the training data set that my lab Murat used for these uh, training tasks. And here we also perform some uh, competitive uh, methods. And we can see in this task, our model outperforms other models like all the time. Okay, so the last task is we're trying to find the peptide that binds to the RAS protein. The RAS, RAS protein is part of the oncogene that it, its mutation can lead to cancer. So if find some um, inhibits the, will, um, the GTP RAS binding process that we can find some drugs that can uh, stop the cancer. And to do this, we use alpha-fold multimer, which takes a whole protein sequence as well as the peptide sequence. And they are separate, separated by column when we input that into the model. So the model is able to predict the conformation of the whole system. And it gives out a PDB which contains the XYZ coordinates of all the items. Okay, so the blue part is the rice protein and the red part is the sequence we're trying to optimize. Um, this animation shows how, 
how the sequence change as we involve more based optimization steps. So uh, we compute the cartesian coordinates between the residues and the peptide and the tar target binding site of the protein. Mm, and we trying to uh, minimize the distance as well as we trying to maximize the confidence score output from the alpha fold. And we can see here, we are able to reach the confidence score, which is the PLDT here, uh, almost close to 65%, which is really high number. Okay, so this is the uh, example of the sequence we find. Um, this, the green sequence is uh, an optimized sequence from uh, previous literature. And the red sequence is we find from our, using our um, method. And the orange one is the binding site, the target binding site on the protein. And we can virtually see that our, um, the sequence we find can tightly bind to the, the binding site comparing to this optimized sequence. Just one question. Yep. Did you, yeah, I, I think the, yeah. Did you include any uh, structural um, insight in the modeling, like from the, uh, from the protein side? Or you only use like the affinity as a uh, feedback? Uh, I mean, what do you mean by restrict? Um, so yeah. the question is, do you include uh, a, 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 any inside like the, the 3D structure of the protein? Do you, how do you take into account the 3D structure of the protein during optimization? Oh, so like what we input is just uh, the sequence, right? And AlphaFold is able to give you a PDB file that has all the confirmations of the whole system, including the protein structure and the peptide sequence and how they interact and how the protein reconform be based on yeah. because of the peptide is trying to bind with it. So it's just a PDB file. And um, we already know the binding site, the target binding site we're trying to bind. So just compute the distance between the residues of those two parts. Gave the, the model, the thing you optimize is uh, the distance between the binding site and the peptide is that what you optimize yes yes uh, that's one of the uh, that's one of those so the other thing is we're trying to maximize the confidence score because uh, AlphaFold also outputs a confidence score uh, how confident it is about the structure it predict we want it to be um like very confident about the structure it predict okay thank you thank you you're welcome Okay, so the conclusion is you can do uh, BNC optimization with neural networks at a very low data points. And the end-to-end -end models tends to work better than latent space models. And um, we can remove the need to have a pool and exploit the pre-trained models. So uh, a paper part is done. And... Okay, so after 
that we did some modifications to our um, packages. So, okay. Uh, so in some cases, it's, it is better if we can test out a batch of sequence at a time. For example, when we find some promising sequence, then we want to send it to companies to do experiments to synthesize those peptides and test their properties. We don't want to send them like one at a time. We want to send them a batch of, we want to send a batch of them, eight of them at a time. Um, but the problem here is that based on the current model, the best sequence we can find would be mostly relo uh, located around the same optimal region. And it would be a waste of resources if we test a bunch of similar sequences at a, a time since experiments are expensive. So ideally we could test out maybe eight totally different sequences at a time. The question is that how do we get eight very different sequences based on the current model. So here we use an ad hoc regret minimization strategy to spread out the proposed sequence. So here I made a sketch of uh, like the how it works. Um, so the solid uh, black line is the underlying function, which we don't know. And the light gray line is the, uh, the fifth function based on the observations. So first, based on the current fifth function, um, we find a very nice max quiet point, which is the right red point here. So we don't get the label for it right now because we want a batch of those. And in the second step, we assign it with a very bad label. And we refit the function with this new point, which is fake. The point of this is we want this point uh, to be on the valley. So um, when we find the next cry point, it won't be around here, it will be somewhere else. Okay, so we repeat it n times until we get um, n cry points where n is the number of the batch size. And until here, we haven't run the real experiment yet. We, we all generate fake labels with, with which is the those bad labels. And we, we get n points which are um, theoretically they would be far away from each other. Okay, on the, on the last step, we get the real label, which we just send those um, sequences to test to do, to do real experiments and we get back the real labels. Okay, so now those points has the real labels like corresponding real labels here. And after that, we refit the function with the new batch of points, which is this one. Okay, so we repeat this process. Yes. Um, sorry, I have a question about the next query point. Why do we assign it a bad label with the oh, bad label? Okay, so good question. So why we want to assign it to a bad label? Because if we assign it to a bad label, we can see here the the gray, the green line, we're trying to feed this bad label. So the shape is like this. And while, why, when we're trying to find the next one, it's going to be far away from here. So if we assign it is with a good label, the shape is something like this. I don't know whether you can see my curves, but yeah, if we assign it with a, a good label, the next point we're trying to find could be somewhere very close to it. And this is not what we want. We want those to be far away from each other. 
Okay, so it's to get diverse sequences, right? Mm, yes. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so this is our uh, strategy for uh, uh, spread out uh, the batch, um, our proposed sequences. And okay, so here I will introduce our um, repository, GitHub repo, uh, repo, it's called Wazy. And how we use it, it's very easy. We just pip install Wazy. And so uh, my PI just implement uh, ask and tell interface, which is very easy to use. So you just uh, do this and you tell the sequence by giving it a key, a sequence and its corresponding labels. So the task here we can see is we're trying to find a number of adenine in a sequence. So this one is zero, this one has one adenine, so it's one, this one is two, and this is three. And after we tell a bunch of sequence to the model, we can predict a new sequence. This sequence is not in the, um, the data we already have, is a new sequence. And the output is the predict the label, the overall uncertainty, and the epistemic uncertainty. Okay, as we can see, the first few rounds is gives a very bad result, but it's okay. And we see, so next we tell it, tell a new sequence to the model with a label, which is two. Oh, yes. Um, can you um, kind of comment on what's the difference again between the, at least how you compute the, the overall uncertainty and the epistemic uncertainty? Okay. I know one is from the ensemble and the other one is from the model, but which model do you choose for the other one? So good question. So the epistemic uncertainty is um, we look into the, so you know, in, so as I mentioned before, I use deep ensembles, which is uh, an ensemble of neural networks. Each networks also gives you a mean and standard deviation. And as epistemic uncertainty here is we look into the difference, this difference between across all the means output by the model. So it's like we compute a standard deviation based on the different means output by the model. Okay, perfect, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, you can just use this ask and tell face. A tell is to um, add a new data point and ask is uh, trying to um, uh, see how the sequence is. And there is also a predict method that you can predict the, um, the label and uncertainty of a certain sequence. Mm. So this is how you can do it in the loop you need to write a for loop and each time we need to split the keys and just do ask and tell repeatedly. And this is how we do batching, which I just mentioned. You can give it a, like an equal some number where this three is the number of the sequence we're trying to uh, return. And here is like, so this means that this three we use that batching strategy, but 
this number is we don't we we're not trying to use that strategy. We just return ten sequences, so it will be three times ten is thirty sequences at a time. Um, yeah, that's it. And we also have the implementation in the collab as well, which is very easy to use. Okay. Um, yeah, this is our group. And I'm not here. And the second author, Kat, is not also here. It's not here, but everyone else is here. So um, this is a nice group picture. Um, and thank you, everyone. Welcome. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Thank you uh, for the uh, for the presentation, uh, you. Um, yeah, if you have any question, please unmute yourself and yeah, ask. Um, I have a question about. Um, shall I continue? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just uh, uh so you talk about optimization in the latent space and in the large space. But uh, so at last, you optimize sequence, optimize the protein in the large space, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. OK, but uh, I previously read some papers related to this, but uh, this seems to have some limitation. For example, the sequence length is fixed. You cannot uh, just uh, uh, shorten or just make the sequence longer because it's not an evolutional algorithm. Oh yeah, that's a good question. And we also consider. Uh, have you? Uh, did you finish your question? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Um. So we consider this, and actually, in this task I just mentioned, we enable a change of sequence length. Uh. So I didn't mention in detail how we do this. So what we did is we use a random walk strategy. Um, so as I mentioned here, oh, sorry, okay, too far away. So here uh, we have this space which we proposed and basically the sequence length is determined by the shape of this matrix. And what we did is uh, we're trying to uh, initialize three different shapes with uh, different shapes of this matrix. And each time we and we run a Bayesian optimization spontaneously, like you know, like on the on the same time, and we're trying to see which sequence gives the best score, and we update the current sequence length to that sequence length. So that and in doing that, it can enable us to have different sequence length. Okay, so does it mean, for example? You have many sequence, uh, many of the metric of different lengths, and every time you optimize it, and then you choose the best. Mm, yeah, you can say that. But I don't do like randomly try different different length. I just try um, maybe one um, uh, less than current length and one um, longer than current length. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's uh, kind of, if it's better, it has longer length, it will converge at a longer, a longer sequence length eventually. And could you return to the snacks? I have another question. Uh, return to which slide? Uh, just as the previous, the, have the metric. 
matrix. Uh, yeah, the, the overall Ionosin part. This one. Uh, yeah, 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 this one. So, um, so generally speaking, you have, uh, I, I want to know the forward path of the model. You have a metric and then you sample, and then you fit this sequence to a pre-trained language model. And then you got the feature and then you fit feature into some regression model. Is that right? Um, what do you mean by fit featuring regression model? Me here, when I train? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, uh, just the many regression model, right? Oh yeah, this is the ensembles. Okay, I see. I see. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, this is the regression model. Mm 